We have gathered this morning to study the word of the Lord, to praise God, and to fellowship with one another, to speak with one another, to be encouraged by one another. And I would like to continue uh, that experience with reading by reading the word of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. However, uh, Ephesians is a very deep book. It's very deep, uh, very theologically oriented. You cannot read Ephesians with regular eyeglasses because Paul, who's the writer, is not writing from an earthly perspective. Paul, who's the writer, is writing the book of Ephesians, in other words, from a heavenly perspective. And we're not going to see this relationship between man and God in Ephesians. We're going to see this relationship between God and humanity in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians begins with a whole idea, with a prayer. That is interesting that when we translate that book, it is the longest sentence in the entire Bible. We could not have written it that way or read it that way, so we have to put commas and, and semicolons and things in it. But Paul begins the first chapter with a prayer that praises God for God's sovereignty. For God, who is a God who's in charge of everything, whose world did not go crazy and went away in sin, but rather it was a world and a plan that was put together from the beginning and even before that beginning of time, as Paul says. In chapter 2, he then reminds us that humanity is totally lost in their sin, and therefore they are dead. And how many of you have seen a dead person do something for themselves? Anyone? I hang around with them and they don't do that. But then in that same chapter 2, he says that salvation is an act of God because we're dead. God is alive. So God then pours God's grace and saves us and fills us with God's Spirit and sends us into mission. And this is where we catch Paul in chapter 3. If you have your worship guides, you will have that uh, um, reading with you of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So, Paul says, when I think of all of these, what's all of this? All these that I have just been talking about. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is His love. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully, 
then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power to work within us and accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Word of the Lord. Uh, today I'm basically concluding a series that I began at the beginning of the month, as I typically do. Every month I have a series of messages uh, that go together. And, and we're finishing the series of the power of the grace of God. We have seen already that the grace of God is not a static theological concept that just stays there and does something or reminds us of God's grace or, or, or goodness to us, but rather it is a dynamic, active force that's triggered by God for God's purposes and for God to fix things that are broken and wrong. We have seen how this powerful grace has poured on us God's fullness, God's acceptance in our lives. We saw it when Jesus is accepted by God. And Jesus hears the words, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And how us being in Jesus, those words are transferred to us. And the words are my beloved child in you I am well pleased. We discover that we are beloved by God, accepted by God, not because of how good we are, but because of the power of God's grace alone. Secondly, we also discover that God provides everything for us to be, for us to be sustained, not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. We discover how, in the ultimate analysis, every plant, every food that we ingest for our sustenance ultimately depends on the grace of God to bring rain and sun upon those plants or animals that we consume we also discovered that Scripture, that the presence of the Spirit of God and fellowship should be planted to sustain us by grace of God as we work with one another to carry God's own will in our community, in our lives. We've also seen how the power of God's grace has turned us into signs of God's grace. We are not just who we are because of your career. You're no longer a retired person. You are a sign of God's grace. You have become that label. You have become that person that God has moved into community, that God has moved into the stores, that God has moved into government offices, medical offices, so that you can stand there and become that sign of God's grace. Be the difference become and make the difference in people's lives as you're exposed to them because you're a sign you've become a sign of God's grace just like Jesus was a sign of God's grace we have been reviewing basically what I've been doing is reviewing the cycle of grace and the cycle begins with acceptance. It has to begin with acceptance because it is God who initiated His love towards us and made us accepted in Jesus Christ, as it says in chapter 1 of Ephesians. In Christ, we have been accepted with God. There is no more complaint between God and us. There is no more animosity between God and us. God has fully accepted us and unconditionally welcomed us into God's own family. 
Notice that as we become aware of that acceptance, we then have more peace. You don't have to struggle anymore to be accepted. You don't have to work anymore to be accepted by God. Just enjoy and bask under the acceptance that God gives you and the sustenance that then God provides. Notice Jesus was very aware of this cycle. The whole idea of the cycle of grace is the question, why Jesus didn't burn out? Why Jesus didn't lose it? Because Jesus lived in a perfect spiritual balance where he was inputting into his life before he was able to output. He was able to input because he knew who he was. He was the Son of God. He was the one who was sent to be the light, to be the bread, to be the gate, to be the I am of God here on earth. So he's accepted. And as he's accepted, Jesus then seeks to be to receive more sustenance from God. Jesus would hide from the disciples. Jesus would go away because Jesus needed to be fed, to be nurtured, to be refreshed, to have inner strength before he went out to give it. Notice how the circle gets a little fatter right there in sustenance. Because you're inputting. You're inputting the grace of God in there, by acceptance and by sustenance. Both are provided by God. And interestingly enough, out of that acceptance that God gives us unconditionally and out of that sustenance that by grace we receive from God, we then become significant. Not powerful or famous. That's not the idea of significance. We become signs of God's grace. We become that poster child of God's mercy. We become that poster child of God's love. We become instruments of God's grace, God's love, God's peace, God's hope, God's love as you move out. And notice that the circle begins to get thinner because now you're giving because you have received. Today, I want to talk to you about fruitfulness. And that's where we give it all up. Look how thin it gets there. It gets thin because we're emptying ourselves. We're giving out of what we have received. We are responding to God by gratitude. And therefore, it becomes thinner and we become a little depleted. But what do we do? We start a cycle again and we are reminded of God's acceptance. Isn't that what we do every Sunday when we have this kind of ritual, this thing that we do, and we call moment of confession and assurance of pardon? We are not really being forgiven at that moment, even though you may have felt that way at that moment, and that's okay. But God has forgiven us way before. And God has made God's own home in us. God dwells in us. God's Spirit is in us. And that's the power that Paul talks about in the Scripture that we read. So we become signs of God, and we become fruitful. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. How does Jesus, how is Jesus fruitful? How can we become fruitful in our lives? And, and, and the first thing I want to talk about is that in our society, we tend to confuse fruitfulness with success or achievements. And my thesis today is going to be that they're not the same. Fruitfulness is one thing. Success and achievement are something else. Achievement, performance, egocentric culture in which we are requires us to perform, requires us to give up some of our behavior so that they can quantify it, and then it goes to a number, and then we get an evaluation every year in our school where we work, uh, as we work with sixth graders. 
God bless you, dear, again. <laughs> she worked with sixth graders. Pray for her. <laughs> so, so I, you know, and it's that way. We receive that grace from God, but we, we have to become fruitful. I mean, successful in order for her to give her job as a teacher. We always have to do something in order to perform, to achieve, to be successful. But that is not the same thing as being fruitful. We can't confuse fruitfulness with success or achievement. You see, when we focus on success, we tend to lose our integrity. We tend to lose ourselves. We tend to actually become who they want us to become. And we actually change ourselves to accommodate because we want to be accepted and get some kind of reward. That is the dynamics. That is the exchange that we do sometimes in order to be successful. However, when, when we focus in fruitfulness, we are able to embrace our uniqueness. We're able to embrace how different we are from one another. We're able to embrace our giftedness and shine wherever we are at, are at trusting that we are doing what God has sent us to do. We don't have to perform to get accepted by God. We just have to allow and yield the Spirit to be fruitful within, within us. Conversely, when we focus on achievement and success, we focus, uh, we are actually, we, we tend to get exhausted. We tend to get tired. We tend to just be with it. We tend to just lose it. It, it is too much to carry. And we go to bed worried already on what's happened the next morning, and we're already tired on the next day. If you carry that onto your spiritual life, you are never going to be a happy Christian. You're going to be an overloaded, overexhausted, burnt out, sour grape, angry, may I say 70-year-old, <laughs> or 50 years, 58 years old. I can't lie from here. <laughs> bitter with life. However, if we focus on fruitfulness, by focusing on fruitfulness, we seek to care for ourselves also. We seek to nurture ourselves. We seek to find that space. I remember when the three kids were very young and I was doing daddy duty and, and I was Mr. Dad at home for two years. I, I used to find two places for retreat. One was the bathroom, obviously, and the other one was the backyard because there were glass doors in that Florida house, and I could go back there and just sit and make sure there was no blood. <laughs> as long as I could see them, I would be okay. No, there were moments then when Loida came in, my wife, and she would take over. I would sneak out of the house and go to teach at the college. That was safe, and that was okay with me. But when we focus in fruitfulness, we focus not in the fruit that we're making. We focus in the relationship with whom we are depending upon. Remember two weeks ago, we read the passage in John 15, remain in me, abide in me, stay hooked on to me. 
That is why. Because then it is God's Spirit that comes through us through Jesus Christ that desires to do the fruit. You see, you don't have to perform. It's out of the well of living waters that that comes. The desire that God gives us. The, the dreams and visions that God gives us. Otherwise, we get burnt out. Jesus didn't burn out. So how was Jesus fruitful? In Matthew 4, 23, this is a summary. And this summary appears in Matthew in three places, in chapter 9 and then maybe in chapter 20-something. Uh, it appears and it summarizes. And when Jesus was all about Galilee, Nazareth, or in Judea, He was teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel, and he, the gospel of, of the kingdom. Another one says He was teaching. He was preaching He was healing. Another one says that he was teaching. He was preaching. He was healing. He was liberating people from demon possession. Jesus was fruitful. Jesus was able to express God's power because he allowed God's grace to flow through him. Notice the word. He allowed God's grace to flow through him. And he was able to see the need, and instead of reacting with fear, he would go ahead and step out in faith and touch and speak. However, if we look at Jesus from a, 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 an American 21st century perspective, Jesus was an extreme failure. According to some experts, he was a failure. He lost the cause. He was just a good person with, bad, with good ideas, with bad luck. If you measure Jesus' success... Through our modern standards of evaluation, Jesus was a pure failure because in three years, all he was able to do was touch 12 people, and then at the end of it, they all abandoned him. Not success at all in any way, shape, or form. But you see, Jesus was not focusing on success and achievement. Jesus was focused on planting seeds that will later grow. Jesus was focusing in planting seeds of fruit. Jesus was focusing in planting love, in planting joy, in planting self-control, in planting gentleness, in planting patience and kindness and faithfulness to His disciples. Jesus' fruitfulness was demonstrated not only in His healing, but in His words, in His relationships, in His advocacy for children, and ch for children and women. His fruitfulness was shown in the freedom He gave to many who were captured in spirits, who, had, who, had, who were blind, who were walking in darkness, and now they see the light, the light that God has given them. Jesus was able to live in fruitfulness because He lived the cycle of grace. Look at it again. So are we also empowered and become the abundance of fruitfulness when we begin to walk in the cycle of grace like Jesus did or we walk in the cycle of works where we need to perform, where we need to be okay before God and we never are because of our own self-guilt that Jesus has already paid for. We can burn out or we can live We can exist or we can live. So would you rather live a life of success or a life of fruitfulness? There's a balance. One that is exhausting, depleting, unsustainable, while the other is light, joyful, and spiritually led. Can you imagine? Just could you imagine 
if every one of us would commit ourselves to grow and understand that deep, long, wide love of God, how that will change your life, how that will change your family's life, how that will change your community's life. Because instead of emphasizing in divisions and what makes us different, we can emphasize in what brings us together. We emphasize the goodness of each one of us bringing, each one of us is different. I, I, we were arguing or commenting in the class last week, the vision between the melting pot, how America is supposed to be a melting pot. Well, it, it can't be. The new vision that we're talking about is a fruit salad or a toss salad. Because the tomato is always going to stay tomato. The lettuce is going to always stay lettuce. The lettuce is not going to become tomato. I'm always going to like my Puerto Rican rice and beans. And I'll let you in it. <laughs> but I also like my fried chicken. This is what I am. I can't change that part of me, but I'm accepted into a table where, where, where others who don't like my rice and beans, but they like their pasta, we're also sitting at the table. And we bring together the abundance. You see, because a life that, that deals with success and achievement is always trying to compare itself with others. And you can't live a life comparing yourself with others. Because in this kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in the realm of God, you're an orange, I'm an apple. You can't compare orange to apple. We need to accept and live together in the fruit salad. I like the idea of the fruit salad. Fruit? Kind of weirdos? Yeah. We're supposed to be different in that world. We're supposed to stamp out that mentality and live in a new oneness, in a unity where God makes us one, where we struggle to become one, where we can imagine that we are joined in fruitfulness and embrace all kinds of strange people to our kingdom, to our church, and celebrate diversity. That would be a great community where generosity can be celebrated, where we would promote peace with one another and not hatred, where we would be kind to one another and welcoming to all sorts of people that come, even if they don't believe in Jesus. You know that the other day here there was a, a, a Muslim in this church? I didn't tell you because some of you would pull out the gun. Yeah. They came to pray with us. And they invited us for lunch. Reconciliation is not up to governments. It's up to us who have received and know the message of reconciliation. See, God has sent us. There you go. His Son, so that we may have the power to grasp, to struggle in understanding. Grasp is not just take. Grasping requires strength. Grasping requires tug of war. To struggle to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ that lives in all of us. The grace of God is so powerful that it cannot accomplish what governments can't do. It can't accomplish what governments can do. And some won't do it. Unity and reconciliation is up to us, my dear sisters and brothers. Let us then walk 
in that way as children of God with the powerful grace of God. Amen.